Hello, and welcome to Need to Know, your weekly investment podcast brought to you by the experts at Coots. I'm Sarah Muir, and I'm joined for this special episode, not only by Coots CIO Alan Higgins, but also behavioural psychologist Ed Nottingham from the bank's Behavioural Centre of Expertise. Now, each week on the podcast, we look at the three things investors need to know. And for this episode, we're going to be focusing on investor psychology. I think very, very important in the current sort of climate. Um, So, Ed, what are the three things that we need to know that are going to help us be rational rather than irrational investors? Well, it's an interesting point. I I don't think anyone is entirely rational. Um, I certainly am not. so, so that's setting the bar very high. But I think what we can do is, is try to become more rational by taking into account uh, <laughs> our own sort of tendencies, our own uh, irrationalities that we do have, that we can sort of approach a more rational perspective. But the three things I would say that we should really focus on, at least for investment, is about setting really good goals and knowing why we've set yeah. those goals for ourselves. Then mm-hmm. understanding how we can best stay the course throughout our investment okay. journeys. Yeah. And then finally, um, making sure we take time to reflect as we're making decisions about our investments across that experience. That sounds good. And Alan, hopefully we're going to get some input from you from the institutional perspective of whether, well, how good institutional investors are at, at following these these rules as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some input from you. Okay, well, then let's start off with then developing goals now, explain to us what you mean by that and why that's important to help us be, I'm going to take my lead from you, more rational rather than completely rational. Yeah, I think that's right. So essentially, I mean, setting good goals is just, it's all about getting you where you want to go in life yeah. and investing for the long term. So it's about being effective, not just efficient with your investments. The challenge here, of course, is that everyone is pretty much stuck in the present moment. We're very focused on our present circumstances and our present conditions. And this all means that we find it really, really hard to then project out 10 years or longer to then say, Mm. are the things that I want now going to be reflected in me in the future? So it means that we need to be making goals that are based on the principles that we want. So for example, I want to invest so that I have more time in the future. Now, that's an excellent goal to have, but what do you want to use that time for? It might be for your family, it might be for your hobbies and different things like that, but trying to make that a bit more tangible and getting those things nailed down in principle makes it easier to then connect to that. And it means that then the particulars of how you reach that goal are adaptable. You can sort of flex as you go as needed because no Mm. plan you know, survives first contact with uh, reality. Um, yeah, because so that's you, for you, sure, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, so you need to adapt along the way, essentially. Okay. So it's about then, it's not just investing for investing's sake. It's about investing because there's something you want to achieve at the end of your investment with hopefully your money growing as a result of that, of those investment decisions you've made. Yeah, precisely. And, and having that principle in mind helps you uh, do that uh, in an effective way. Yeah. Uh, Alan, how, how does that work in, a, in an institutional environment? Because obviously, I guess your goal as an asset manager is to grow your client's money. So do you is, is, is goal setting just as important in an institutional environment as it is 
for an individual investor like like me or or like Ed? Yeah, it's it's slightly different, as you say, because of the process. It comes down more to the process. But I would say, stepping back a bit, it is people, okay, with the use of technology, computers, increasingly AI, uh, are behind these institutional investors and have very much the same kind of issues. So the goals would tend to be around an investment process, an investment process goal to deliver good returns in the long, long term. And... The issue is it becomes hard to stick to them when you get caught up at the moment. I thought Ed um, explained that perfectly. And I've seen it time and time again, how people get absolutely stuck in the moment, even institutional investors. Mm. So even then, so they can be impacted by what we're seeing perhaps happening in markets, negative news, market volatility. That can impact institutional investors just as much as it can individual investors. Yeah, I mean, I can, yeah, I can think of many examples. Let me just give a, a quick example. Um, so you remember we did, did one on the 87 crash? Yeah, we did. I remember that. You know, mm. uh, Michael Burry from the Big Short, and we were kind of looking at historical crashes. Well, um, we gave an example of a hedge fund manager, Ed Thorpe, who saw a big, and, and this is, is as institutional as you can get, a big difference between the futures and the cash, as much as 20%. Mm. And he was virtually the only one who participated in it. And his goal, if you like, was to make returns for a client. But everyone else, including his trader, you remember, his trader originally refused to take the business because they were so scared, so caught up in the moment of the crash. And mm. uh, and, and, and so it's a difficult thing to do. And I should say, uh, with all humility, myself included, in these tough moments that I've seen in my career, and, and you know, if I've got any success, it's just stealing myself, trying to fight the behavioural biases that I have to, to, to basically, mm. uh, one, not sell, because we typically talk about crisis, and two, get away from yeah. thinking at the moment. Okay, all right then. Well, that's good. It's good to know that, we're, I mean, we're all sort of at risk of, of, of falling prey to this. So obviously we're going to develop, we're going to have a goal, Ed, uh, bef- before we sort of think about investing, we're going to have what is it we want to achieve with the with the money that we're going to sort of the returns that we're going to generate as part of our investment plan. But so that's one thing. But you said about staying the course. That's the next thing that investors need to think about, isn't it? Absolutely. And um, the points Alan was just making there about you know in periods of market volatility when emotions are running high, it's about how do you stick to that plan. How do you endure yeah. with your investment through the whole cycle that's required in order to get those longer-term gains? And nevertheless, also adjusting when necessary, but not just adjusting for the sake of it or on a whim. Because we're all essentially emotional decision makers. When we experience things, mm. it goes through our emotional sense of the brain before our rational or more yeah. rational brain can really get involved. And the challenge, of course, it, it, emotions can be really all-consuming. In the moment, emotions just flood into all aspects of your decision-making of your life in that moment. But, of course, we all know, at least cognitively or, or in our heads, that these emotions are quite transient. But when you're in the midst yeah. of them, they're all-consuming. So, yeah. so it's about, I think, trying to recognize that fact trying to rely on those around you who are less emotionally invested in your circumstances, who are better able to take a step back, perhaps think a bit more calmly 
and support you as you ride out those emotional moments. It's very challenging, of course, and and some people mm. are slightly more composed than others, and you know. But but ultimately, we are all emotionally driven, quite fundamentally, and it affects everything we do, but investing in particular. So, Alan, this this idea of staying the course is it makes perfect sense. But I mean, if you were an investor 20, 30 years ago, you would have got a monthly, maybe a quarterly sort of investment report. Now, investors can check their balance, their portfolio, you know, on a daily basis, an hourly basis. Um, has that made it more difficult for investors to stay the course? Yes, I think it has, Sarah. And I think it's a little bit ironic because we talk about the benefits of technology. And it is a real benefit of technology, but it's not that useful from a behavioral aspect to be looking at your portfolio every day. I mean, I know because as an institutional investor, we did have that access from early stages looking at it every day. And yeah, I know many customers who don't like it, many customers who've asked for it to be turned off, um, and m- m- many customers who've taken some, maybe some, not many actually, a few customers that have taken some bad decisions on the back of it. But how about you, Sarah? Do you look at your portfolio, maybe your pension portfolio all the time? Well, interestingly, when it's, my pension? No, I don't. And I don't know whether that's because it's actually a little bit of a faff for me to go and look at what's happening in my pension or just because I, I think of it as a, that's definitely a long-term investment. I am not quite at retirement age yet. And so I don't tend to look at it. I certainly don't look at it even on a monthly basis. It's there. I know I've got bonds and I've got equities in there, but I'm just kind of trusting that it's doing its thing. In the past, when I've been a stock picker, then yeah, definitely I've looked at those on a, on a certainly a daily, if not a weekly basis. Okay, and I just want to add something um, that when I was an institutional manager, I had you know many positions. I especially remember it as an institutional manager, and a position went against me, made me very uncomfortable. I, I can remember closing a couple of positions, and the interesting point I don't know if Ed's come across that. I'm pretty sure you, when you do close that, that losing position or close the risk down, as we say in institutionals on the institutional side, you feel a tremendous relief. And, and then only over the matter of a few days, almost the pain is gone. Then over the matter of a few days, you realize you've made a bad decision. You've been caught up in the moment. And, um, but there is a very interesting relief from closing a position. Almost, dare I say, uh, endorphins being set off or whatever I don't know what and th- therefore I learned quickly god you've got to fight that but that's not easy and of course the individual investors um you know don't have the luxury of what I have of you know of 35 years of investing in different securities but have you come come across anything like that in your research Ed, about the relief of closing a position well yes uh, these sorts of gains and losses that people experience in with their portfolios are reflected in exactly the same ways in our brains as pain or loss in other areas of life. We just have one way of feeling, and those feelings are very real to us, regardless of their source. So I think that's absolutely the case. There's also the interesting thing about being able to look at the technology constantly and and referring to your, your numbers even on a daily basis, right, is that you can get caught up in sort of analysis paralysis too. So it's that that almost stronger version to the potential of regret 
that you don't want to make a decision in fear of it being the wrong one. And that can be just as corrosive to your investment experience, your investment journey, your portfolio returns as constantly being on edge and, and trying to trade to try and time the market, as it were, which we know that it can't really be done consistently. So, yeah, there's there's absolutely a challenge with technology, returning to your original question, Sarah. And, and quite often, mm. many of us would just benefit from pausing, taking a step back and just leaving it to a quarterly basis or even less frequently. Which is, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, is it? That's about as realistic <laughs> as we think we're going to be rational investors. Okay, well then with that, which brings us very neatly on to the final point then, which is this 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 idea of, or concept of having time to reflect. So mm. talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, I think there's, there's a few different ways you can think about this. I think it's um, partly it's about putting a pause in any decision you want to make about your investments, I think, because we all have this tendency to over-focus on the present, um, focus on the news, which is invariably bad because good news generally doesn't sell. Um, and we have this tendency anyway to focus on the negatives because the negatives are the things that can potentially hurt us a lot. And the positives are mm. all well and good, but you know, if things are going well, there's no problems. There's nothing to be, you, know, you don't have to do anything about it. But I think that that pause for reflection is also really critical in when when you're emotional, being able to say, where is that emotion really coming from? And what should I be doing about it? Because yes, you can feel you know worried or feeling anxious about your investments or, or other things, but it's about recognizing what's the source of that and then what is the action that needs to be taken that is best for your long-term um, your long-term uh, benefit, really, rather than saying, I just need to resolve this emotion. I just need to make a snap decision so that I don't have to feel anxious anymore. And it's about being able to... And, and we're not... Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, sorry, and, and it's not necessarily... We're not saying that you should do nothing and always do nothing. We're just saying that before you make a decision, you need to take a step back because it might be that actually you shouldn't stay the course and maybe you should make a decision, but it's about reflecting on that decision before you make it rather than doing it as a an immediate response to a set of stimuli. It's about thinking about, is this the right thing to do? What are the consequences of what I'm doing? Is that what we're, we're getting at essentially? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's with reference to the people who are less emotionally invested as well. As I mentioned earlier, it's about getting the views of others who are able to help you take that step back and think a bit more rationally, not fully rationally, of course, but a little bit more mm. about the decisions that need to be made. So, so Alan, from, from your experience, is, is this something that institutional investors also struggle with about having time to reflect? Or is that kind of built into the process in someone like Coots, for example? Well, look, yeah, um, whether it's Coots or anywhere, you know, it's people and there's going to be a struggle with it. I mean, we've set up some some pretty good processes to help, but it's not easy. And I very much like that time to reflect. Uh, and um, I think that that's 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 really, really useful. And and um, just thinking my career, uh, Ed also mentioned work talking to people who maybe frankly, karma 
if I, you know, put it in my own words. And I, I can think of that from an institutional perspective is that I like to think I'm pretty calm um, <laughs> when it comes to markets, of course, inside, just like anyone, the stomach's churning. But I, I you know, I still myself and remember I've seen it before. Uh, but it is very helpful to people who are pretty calm. But there's not many of those, I have to say, and, and um, because it's not human nature. But maybe I'll just finish on a lovely story which led to the birth of, you know, one of the greatest investment careers, a guy called David Svensson, who was the chief investment officer of the Yale Endowment. Um, mm-hmm. and, he, and, he, and he had fantastic returns. But he started in a relatively rocky, but there were rocky environment. But there was time to reflect. Basically, he, was, he started just before the 87 crash, which we just mentioned, okay. of course. Okay. Most well-known for buying private equity, hedge funds, real estate, all mm-hmm. kinds of interesting assets. But it, then he had a conventional bond and equity portfolio. So I'll get to my point. Okay, 87 crash, stocks crashed. Okay. And um, yeah. basically, uh, there was a lot of resistance to so-called rebalancing and buying those stocks back. And then there was a, a mm. crucial investment committee meeting, time to reflect. So where there's, mm. there's some external members, but it was still full of emotion. And um, basically, again, on reflection with some calmer people, he was permitted to do the rebalance, which proved to be fantastically successful. But it just it amuses me. There was one emotional person who remained nameless who said, who said to David Svensson, you'd better be right. There's nothing worse than this, you know, caught up in the moment. <laughs> no no pressure. You better be right. Now, he he was right. And just being right on that, a simple rebalance, it sounds simple, but it's really hard to do because you're buying back into, yeah. into equities after a big crash, selling some bonds after a rally, and no one wants to do it. And it's the end of the world. But just being right on that gave him the license to build an incredible portfolio and a great legacy for Yale mm. students. So an investment committee... which is not that regular uh, is is a pretty good process for time to reflect. Yeah. It's interesting what you were saying. That reminded me of an an analogy I I, I saw the other day, which was in any other market, if if there's a shock, if things are on sale, i.e. at a reduced price, people pile in to buy them. Equities is the one thing where when prices fall, people are running (laughs) for the hills, aren't they? Generally, yes. So, Generally, yes. That's that's so and, true. I mean, unless, I, unless they're unless they're buying the dip, unless they kind of they realise they they see an attractive entry point. Well, I'll give you one more behavioural which I've seen many times. Everyone, and I'm saying nearly everyone will say, I will buy shares, especially and sometimes bonds, but shares, equities on a dip, 20 percent. When that dip comes, with all the bad news that Ed mentioned about, they get in the moment myself included, I have to steal myself, and they do not buy on that dip. Uh, and uh, so, so I mean, we could go on, on, on and on, but I think just to be fair to individual investors listening, us institutional investors, we're not immune. It's hard. It's hard because you are fighting yeah. human nature. I mentioned before some of my closed positions. It made me feel good. Then one month later, I thought, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> you know. Anyway... It's been really interesting yeah. having you on, hasn't it, hasn't it, Sarah? Yeah, it has been really good. And I think for me, I mean, the three key takeaways are that it's it's having a goal. Why is it you're investing in the first place? Once you set yourself that, that goal, staying the course, if that's the right thing to do, and, you know, assessing what you're doing. 
But then also when you're bombarded with negative news and you know market volatility, it's about taking a step back and taking that time to reflect rather than just doing anything in, in a blind panic. Um, thank you very much, Ed, and thank you very much, Alan, for joining us for this special episode of Need to Know. A reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are not intended to constitute investment advice, are accurate at the time of recording and are subject to change. Don't forget to check out the podcast page on coots.com. And of course, you can subscribe to Need to Know via any of the, wherever you get your podcasts from, whether it's Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts. Until next, Until the next Need to Know, Bye for now.